God for the fountain. Amen? Amen. Thank you, choir, and thank you all for leading us in worship today. While they're coming down, our children's church will be gathering over here to my left. You're right at the Welcome Center, where Miss Carla and Miss Kelsey are making their way. So as they're gathering over there, we'll give just a moment for choir to come down. As they're coming down, I want to encourage you to open your copy of God's Word to the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. You would find verse 1. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. What's well, a good day to be in the house of the Lord today, isn't it? Amen. Certainly is. I'm grateful to God for it. So glad to be here with you today. And so we're just thankful for all that the Lord has for us. So, Colossians chapter 2. I will make sure you understand. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, don't worry. It'll be on the screen behind me for you to follow along. It's also should be on the front of your worship guide, the first seven verses of Colossians chapter 2 for you to follow with us as we read God's word together. Colossians chapter 2 verse 1, if you found your place and you're physically able, would you stand with me in honor and reverence to the reading of God's word, Colossians chapter 2 verse 1, we're going to read through verse 7, notice what God's word says today. It says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of the understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ, you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word today. We pray that the Son of God would be glorified today magnified, and may many sons and daughters be one to the kingdom of God. And may your children who've come to this place after a tough week, after a lot of challenges and a lot of difficulties, may they find it to be a place of rest and a place of rejoicing. May they find it to be a place where they encounter Jesus Christ and go away changed. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Today, we continue our series through the book of Colossians that we're calling Our Supreme Savior. And here in chapter 2, as we begin this chapter together, I want to speak to you today on the subject of the motivation of a man of God. I read most recently a statement by one of our great Bible teachers in America today, Dr. John MacArthur. He said this, if someone were to ask you to suggest the most important qualities that a minister can possess, you might argue for intelligence, education, leadership ability, boldness, holiness, or even speaking ability. Although all of these are essential components, perhaps the most necessary ingredient in the life of any minister of Jesus Christ is love for the church. No one can truly serve God in the church without that motivation. Wow, what a great word, Dr. MacArthur. I agree wholly that we are to be men and women of God who love the church of Jesus Christ. A great English preacher from days gone by, W.E. Sangster, he was once interviewing applicants for the ministry when an interesting young man presented himself before that committee. When it came his time to speak, he felt that he ought to explain 
why he was rather shy in his demeanor and that he was not the sort of person, remember we're in England, he wasn't the sort of person, as he put it, that he could set the Thames River on fire. <laughs> that is him saying, I'm not the kind of guy that has the personality to stir up a city. But Dr. Sangster responded with much wisdom. And he said, my dear young brother, I'm not interested if you could set the Thames River on fire. What I want to know is this. If I picked you up by the scruff of the neck and I dropped you in the Thames River, would the water sizzle? <laughs> See, Dr. Sangster was looking for something apostolic. He was looking for something passionate. He was looking for the qualities resembling the Apostle Paul in this young preacher. He says, I'm not looking for what you can do, but what I'm asking is God built a fire in you that would make the water boil. Amen? See, we got to ask ourselves today is God built that kind of fire in us? Because sometimes people want to build their own fire. They want to generate their own spark. But I'm here to tell you today that unless God builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. And unless God builds the fire in you, it's a false fire and not a real fire. See, Paul's greatest quality was his love for the church and it was birthed out of his unquenchable love for Jesus Christ. And his love for Christ and his church is what enabled him to endure the afflictions and even the defections of his followers, the false teachers, and the personal abuse that he endured. You see, these trials and tribulations cause him to be able to demonstrate the truth that we learn in 1 John 4, 21, where John said, and this commandment we have from him, speaking of Jesus, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Paul knew that if he was going to love his brother, if he was even going to love those who abused him, he had to first love Christ. See, we've got to ask ourselves the question today, how much love do we really have for the church, the body of Christ? And is our love for the church birthed, uh, as Paul's was, from an unquenchable love for Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us? So in today's text that we read just a moment ago, I believe it's abundantly clear of Paul's love for the people at the church at Colossae. Remember, he never went there, but he loved them. Paul is actually modeling for us today the way our hearts ought to feel about the church. I really believe that. And there's some major areas of emphasis found in the text today that I believe helps give us a clear picture of what motivated Paul to be a man of God. And can I say what set him apart as a man of God? That he would use, be used by God to blaze a trail for the glory of Jesus Christ. And can I tell you, these qualities that were in Paul's life, if they're in ours, he can use us just like he used Paul. Amen? So as we talk about the motivation of the man of God, let's walk through the text together. And the first thing I want you to notice is Paul's conflict for the saints. We read about that in the opening verses of this chapter because there was a battle raging in Colossae. There was a battle raging over Gnosticism and false teaching and he was about to open a full-scale attack on the cult that was imposing itself against the church. You see, the enemy had stopped or even done great harm to the church and that great harm was coming to God's people so Paul made the Colossians battle his own. Like Adrian Rogers used to say, God didn't call you to keep you out of trouble. He called you that he might get in the trouble with you. Amen? Paul is saying here clearly, look here, I haven't been there, but God is there. I'm God's man. You are God's people. And I'm going to get in that battle with you because there's too much at stake. Wow. So Paul was no stranger to being in a battle, was he? He'd been in a battle at Rome. He was there then. He was in a battle over Colossae and he was in a battle over Laodicea. But what was causing the battle? Well, John Phillips said this. He says, whenever a gathering of Christians occur, whether in a cottage or cathedral, there runs a front line. The enemy is everywhere. 
John Phillips is saying if you've got a small group Bible study in your home or a cathedral full of thousands of people, if you gather for the purpose of glorifying God and worshiping Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, there is a front line been drawn. The enemy is everywhere and he will open the artillery of hell on you to discourage you from doing what God has called you to do. Amen? I really believe that. So as Paul began to hear from Epaphras, oh, the pastor Epaphras who came 1,300 miles and said, I need some answers to help my city and my church. Oh, as he began to hear from Epaphras, he recognized that there was danger and the danger was deep. The critical nature of the situation in Colossae did not only affect this small house church that was in the middle of nowhere, this battle was for the heart and soul of the church universal today. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a battle raging in America over the word of God. The people of God sometimes grow silent because we feel as though we have no voice. I'm here to tell you today, the voice we have is not a voice we generate. It is the voice of the one who lives and dwells within us. And I want you to know as the battle rages, we have no reason to retreat in fear. We must respond by faith and stand for the word of God because the heart and soul of the church is at stake today over the battles even right here in God blessed America. You see the word conflict is a Greek word. It's from the Greek word agon, which is where we get our English word agony. You know what he was literally doing? He was agonizing before God on behalf of this church. He was doing so even in physical labor and in prayer labor. His conflict was not just one front, but it was twofold. It involved two things right here in the text, and I want you to notice them with me today. His conflict involves some words of exhortation that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. That word encouraged in the original language means to call alongside. See, here's what Paul was doing. He was in a spiritual conflict on behalf of the Colossians and you know what he was doing? He was calling them alongside each other. He was saying you need to come alongside each other for the purpose of support the purpose of strength and that you would stand against the pressure that is being created by the false teachers in this city. Hear me, ladies and gentlemen. I'm speaking to you today. The church at 155 Almond Street in Heflin, Alabama. Hear me. The word of God is calling us to come alongside each other. Why? Because we need each other's support. We need the strength that comes from God being shared among the brothers and the sisters. Amen? And can I say to you today, it is because there is a battle raging, there is pressure everywhere we go, and God is calling us to come alongside each other. But you know what we do too often? We are so consumed with me, mine, thee, and thine. We are so consumed with us four and no more. We are so consumed with what affects us and not what affects the body of Christ. We can't see the forest for the trees that we wonder why we don't make a greater impact in the world. I'll tell you why. We're not walking alongside each other. Wow. Y'all glad you came this morning? I mean, this is a burning in my soul. And I want to tell you what, this is a word from God. This is not Brent Thompson's words. This is not my opinion. This is not my preference. This is a principle from the word of God that we all need to embrace. That's what God is calling us to do. Notice what he said. He uses the words knit together in love. Man, this is what's wonderful about the word of God. Paul said, preach the word. There's a lot of people preach about the word, preach around the word, and preach what they wish was in the word. Amen? But if you'll just read the word of God, seek the face of God, the truth literally comes off the page at you. He said, knit together in love. What's that mean? Original language, these words, knit together. You know what they mean? To unite, bring together. See, as believers, we share a common life. 
And the basis of the common life that we share is love that God has placed in our heart for him and for each other. See, all believers possess the same eternal life and all come to Christ in the same way and we're placed in the same body by the same spirit. What some good words, amen. So here's the question. What could God do through just one local church that was truly knit together? What could he do? Well, I believe we can find some some illustration in God's word for that because that's exactly the way the Bible describes the relationship between David and Jonathan. Their hearts and souls were literally knit together. How special was that relationship? I don't know about y'all, but I need a friend like Jonathan, don't y'all? Jonathan, man, he recognized that David was God's anointed king. Even though his daddy Saul was still king, God had already anointed David as king, and Jonathan understood that. David still respected Saul even when he was trying to kill him. He never touched the anointing of God, but Jonathan knew, and Jonathan protected David against the attacks of his own daddy. Wow, that's some real encouragement. Not only were there some words of exhortation, but there were also some words of explanation. Here's what he said. He said, in attaining to all riches, the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of God, both of the Father and Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Notice what Paul did. He had to do some good teaching on the wonderful gift of salvation in this verse. You know what he wanted the Colossians to do? He wanted them to gain a very clear understanding of what it meant to live with a daily assurance of a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, assurance is non-negotiable, ladies and gentlemen. Do you know that? And when it comes to living the abundant Christian life, it is without negotiation. And see, without assurance, believers cannot enjoy the blessings that are theirs in Christ. Paul wanted them to find strength in their assurance. He wanted them to apply their understanding of Christ in their daily lives, and he wanted them to know Christ personally, which affects every decision you make. I'll never forget one time, Angie and I were going to purchase something, and we were younger, and I told the salesman that I needed to go, I needed to pray about it, and I needed to talk to God before I made the decision. He looked at me as if God had nothing to do with that. Like, what's God got to do with it? Amen? Well, he just has everything to do with it. I mean, whether it's a little decision or a big decision, God has everything to do with it. But notice the final words of verse 2. What was Paul doing? He, what was he talking about when he said, to the knowledge of the mystery of God? Well, he was referring to a requirement that will enable us to be encouraged and knit together in love. What is that? See, just knowing about Christ intellectually will not bring the full understanding of the mystery of Christ. This full understanding comes through the love of Christians that we have for one another. So how is this so? When we are loved by other believers, we experience Christ through them. I believe that. We must remember that no intellectual process ever has the ability to lead to the full grasp of the mystery of Christ unless it is accompanied by a love for him and for Christians that knit us together and together in love. Never forget, he is Christ in you. That's the great mystery, the hope of glory. And we must flesh this out to an unbelieving world, whether it's across the street or around the world. People need to see the difference that Jesus has made in us. Not only was Paul involved in conflict on their behalf, I want you to notice the second truth that motivated this man of God. Second thing is, is that he had great concern over the saints. <laughs> I read a story this past week from Warren Wiersbe. What a wonderful Bible teacher Warren Wiersbe was. So grateful he left so many wonderful books and sermons and things for guys like me coming behind him to learn from. He talked about a pastor in a town probably about like ours that there were some, as he called them, unsavory businesses coming to town. There was one that was going to open real close to a school and the pastor was in great opposition to that ungodliness, especially being that close to a school. 
his protests ultimately led to a court case where the defense attorney came in and he was doing all he could to embarrass the pastor. He said, sir, aren't you a pastor? He said, yes, sir, I am. He said, well, doesn't the word pastor mean shepherd? Matter of fact, it does. The pastor agreed. And he said, well, pastor, if you are a shepherd, why aren't you out just taking care of the sheep? <laughs> the pastor replied, because today I'm fighting the wolves. <laughs> Amen? Wow! Ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you something. This work of a pastor, yes, it is being a shepherd, and it does involve being with the sheep, but I want to tell you why. It involves keeping the wolves off the sheep, and there's so many times that pastors spend our heart and soul keeping the wolves off the sheep that they never knew the wolf was coming after them in the first place, but we've got between them and the wolf because that's what we do, amen? That's the call of God on our life. And this pastor was saying, hey, I have no problem being with the sheep. I love being with the sheep, but today I'm fighting the wolves. God help us. See, Paul, like the pastor in our story, he knew this. He knew that the enemy was attacking the church at Colossae. And I want you to hear me and hear me clearly. Our church and every church that seeks to do the will of God is focused on honoring Christ and fulfilling the great commission as a church that will live under the continual attacks of the enemy. I, I, I tell this guy one time, never forget this pastor, I say, you know, we really hadn't had any trouble with the devil lately. Man, we haven't had any attacks. Everything's just been kind of smooth sailing. Really. I'll just be honest with you. I'd be scared to be in that shape. Because you know what that might make me think? That me and the church I was leading were going in the same direction as the devil was going. Amen? Because I want to tell you what, if you walk with God, there's going to be a rub, there's going to be difficulty, there's going to be conflict, there's going to be controversy. Hey, this one man told me, one, one deacon told me one time, he said, ever since you've been our pastor, it's just been nothing but controversy. <laughs> oh, bless you, amen. I said, well, it's because y'all thought everything was all right. But listen to me. When you drop the plow of the word of God, hear me. When you drop the plow of the word of God in fallow ground and you start turning over that stinky, nasty, filthy, solid ground, fallow ground, it's going to stink. The weeds are going to come. The worms are going to come out. And you're going to realize that the word of God, yes, it stirred stuff up because we are people in need of a Savior and we are people who are sinful. We are people who are bent to our own wickedness and we need the word of God and the spirit of God to draw us into right relationship with the son of God. Amen? I really believe that. So Paul helps us here today. He helps us as he encourages us. Notice what he gives. Verse four, he talks about the test of false teachers. <laughs> he wrote to prepare the church as they were sure to encounter the assaults of false teaching. The Gnostics and other counterfeits were there. And Paul understood how easily believers can be led astray. He emphasizes the strategy. And you need to get this. If you've toned out, tuned out, went to sleep, wake up just for a minute. You need to get this. False teachers, number one, are deceptive. Their process of deception involves forming opinions that are not based upon the authoritative word of God. Once again, John MacArthur said the basic attack of all false systems. Hear me. You folks are going to Utah. You're going to find this to be true if you had not been yet. If you've been, you know what I'm telling is true. The basic attack of all false systems throughout history has been to deny either Christ's deity, his sufficiency to save and sanctify, or both. Believers need to have a settled conviction about Christ's deity and sufficiency to be able to withstand the onslaughts of false teaching. False teachers are deceptive, but they're not only that. Paul says they're something else. They're also persuasive. <laughs> he describes their plan of attack. First, they plant the seed of doubt, and then they bombard you with persuasive words. <laughs> the New American Standard said a persuasive argument the CSB says this, arguments that sound reasonable. Wow. 
You see, the two English words for persuasive words are actually a translation of a single Greek word that describes a type of speech that is designed to entice others. It is a type of speech used by a salesman when he is attempting to convince a person to buy something that they do not want or necessarily need. Ed Heinsohn, the great professor many years at Liberty University, said this. He said, it is deceit carefully packaged and presented. That's what persuasive words are. See, most people only consider false teaching to be found in some wild outlandish cult group of our world. But hear me, the most dangerous form of false teaching is that which somewhat resembles the truth. Deception can be easily camouflaged, and you know how? By convincing personalities that appear to be sincere. I heard somebody say once, I don't really care what you believe just as long as you're sincere. <laughs> hear, hear me, friend. You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. Amen. <laughs> Sincerity is not the pathway to salvation. Repentance and submission is the pathway. Apart from that, sincerity will get you nowhere. Notice with me not only just the test of false teachers, but notice the testimony of faithfulness and trials. I believe staying alert, as we read here in the text, is a key spiritual discipline that is required to build and keep a testimony of faithfulness to God. But as much as we need to be alert today, ladies and gentlemen, we must also build our defenses against the attacks of Satan. Here's what we know. Paul gives us a couple of words here. They're military words that illustrate the spiritual progress that the Colossians have made thus far. The first one is the word order, and the second is the word steadfastness. I'm going to talk about one at a time. Carrie will put both of them up for you. These words describe the necessity of a unified front to stand against the enemy. A unified front at home, sir, and that begins with you. You are the priest, lead like one. That begins at the church, that falls on me, goes down to you, that we would build a unified front to stand against the enemy. See, unity may be genuine, or sometimes it can also be superficial. But a Epaphras report to Paul was the assurance of genuine unity, and he applauded them for it. You know what Paul was saying? There's one thing I know about you folks. Y'all love God, love one another, and you're standing as one against this false teaching. So let's talk about order. Order is the arrangement of the army in ranks with each soldier in his proper place. You know, we talk about make sure you get in the right seat on the bus. Do you know there are some people that do not need to be greeters? If you are a grumpy person with a case of the mother grubs, you do not need to be a greeter. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. Okay. It's not that you're not gifted somewhere, but that would not be your scene on the bus. If you're the kind of person that when someone comes to church and they say, man, it's a beautiful day, and you respond, yeah, it's going to rain this afternoon, you do not need to be a greeter. Say the clouds come. Now, there's lots of different places people don't need to be, and it's not that they're not useful to the kingdom of God. It's just not their seat on the bus. He's saying, look here, y'all need to get things in order. Get everybody in the right seat on the bus. And then he used the word steadfastness. This word illustrates the soldiers in battle formation. It's not just getting the right seat, but get your gun loaded and get in your place. It shows them presenting a solid and unbroken with no gaps in the front of the enemy. The example of the testimony of the church at Colossae, you know what it should do? It should motivate the church today. These folks had it in order. They knew their seat on the bus. They were steadfast, they had their gun loaded, and they were ready to do battle for the glory of God. It ought to motivate us to daily make progress in discipline and obedience. Then I want you to notice a final thing with me today. Notice his charge to the saints. See, after acknowledging their commitment to Christ, here's what Paul does. He admonishes them to keep it up. 
keep it up. You ever been to a ball game where in the first quarter, one team just steamrolled the other and it looked like it was going to be a slaughter? Somewhere along the way, that team that was getting took to the woodshed in the first quarter, maybe even the first half, they just kept playing and they kept trying and they didn't give up and they kept believing and they kept playing for the next play, not worried about the last play. And somewhere along the way, the game went down and eventually the tide turned. No pun intended. Man, the tide turned. And uh, great things happen when the tide turns. Amen? Just wish it would have happened on January 11th. But anyhow, just... I'm not bitter. I'm just bruised, battered, and broken. But anyhow, we'll be all right told y'all well it shouldn't be so greedy should we? no no it's just about continuing it's easy to come out of the starting gate fast but who's going to be faithful to the finish he talked about their special relationship there in the first part of verse 6 he talked about receiving him which means more than just accepting him oh the Colossians understood just who he is today let me walk through this talking of Jesus how did they receive him? I want you to get this stuff, okay? You're going to get home. This is going to help you next week. I promise you, okay? The first thing I want you to notice is they received him as Christ. They received him as the anointed one. They received him as the Messiah. They received him as the one who had fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament. He was the divine prophet, priest, and king. They received him as Christ. But they also received him as Jesus. They received him as a historical person rooted in humanity through his incarnation in that old stable in Bethlehem. See, Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Joshua. Yeshua. Y'all didn't know I knew fancy words like that, did you? No, look here. That means that the Lord is salvation. So they received him as the captain of their salvation and they rejected salvation in any other name. They received him as Christ. They received him as Jesus. But stay with me. They received him as Lord. Mm. Oh, oh. You know them ladies on the front when Tony Evans is preaching? He'll hit one they'll go, mm-hmm. Y'all ain't never heard it? Y'all need to listen to some of that. It'll help y'all, I'm telling you. It'll hope y'all. I thought I'm going to borrow her for a week. Just say, mm-hmm. But anyhow, look here. They received him as Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a very dynamic and a comprehensive title. See, the Colossians received him, and when they did so, they received him with a full knowledge of his teaching, and they bowed before him as a sovereign Lord. Share something with you, Billy Graham said. He said, no man can be said to be fully converted to Christ who has not bent his will to Christ. He may give intellectual assent to the claims of Christ and may have had an emotional religious experience. However, he is not truly converted until he has surrendered his will to Christ as Lord, Savior, master they received him as Christ they received him as Jesus oh no but they received him as Lord notice when we end of verse 6 verse 7 they also had a significant responsibility Paul uses the illustrative word walk in his letters a lot don't he Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called he does so to describe a journey that we're on with Christ See, our walk with Christ should be characterized in the following ways. Let me give you these. I'm done real fast, okay? Our walk with Christ should be characterized by constant progress, rooted, built up in him. Hey, are you closer to Jesus this year than you were last year? Are you closer to Jesus this month than you were last month? Are you closer to Jesus this Sunday than you were last Sunday? Are you closer to Jesus today than you were yesterday? There should be some constant progress rooted and built up, edified, growing. Secondly, there should be some consistent purpose established in the faith as you have been taught. What is your purpose? You are made in his likeness, created in his image. You are born to serve the Lord. Do you hear me today, amen? There should be some consistent purpose. You should be established, not blowed around by every wind of doctrine that comes along. Everything comes across the TV. No, 
And thirdly, there should be some continual praise. <laughs> Abounding in it with thanksgiving. Oh, thanksgiving, that's November, the last Thursday, preacher. Oh, thanksgiving ought to be characterized in the life of every child of God every day because I don't know about you, God didn't have to wake me up this morning. God didn't have to give me the health and strength to get to the house of God. I don't have to come here. I get to come here. Oh, I've got to go to church. So, no, you ain't got to go. You can, you can use your free will and you can stay as far away as you want to. But I want you to hear me. It's not a got to, it's a get to. I look forward to getting to the house of God, gathering with the people of God, giving glory to God, seeing God change lives, work miracles, get his people on mission for the days ahead. Man, that brings joy to my heart. But let me leave you with a word from Jack Graham. Uh, ladies, I, I told y'all last week, some of y'all called Monday. Hey, what was the name of that book you mentioned last week? Mind you again, it's called A Man of God. Go get it for your husband. And when he's done, you read it, and it'll help you too. It might help you understand him a little better. Listen, Tony Evans talking about that this week. He, he did a little series on the family. He said, some ladies say, you know what, I'm, I'm just tired of stroking my man's ego. He said, well, you might as well just suck it up, buttercup. And he said, because that's what you're supposed to do. He's yours. You make sure he knows that you're for him. Amen? That wasn't part of the sermon. It's just free. Let's take that away. But here's what Jack Graham said in this book, Man of God. I got to leave you with this today. I shared it with our men in the prayer room today. He said, shining our light for Jesus Christ is to be the magnificent obsession and our all-consuming passion. He said, we are not to be chandeliers hung over the foyer of the church or the dining room table to beautify the premises. Say that again so you'll hear me. Shining the light of Jesus should be your magnificent obsession. Your all-consuming passion should be what you're all about. We cannot be and are not to be chandeliers hanging over the foyer or the dining room table to beautify the premises. What do you say we are to be? He said we're more like porch lights. porch lights showing the people the way home and inviting them to come in. I got to think about porch lights. And when I think about porch lights, I can't help but think about that old yellow porch light used to draw all the bugs at my grandmother's house. I thought she got that bug because it wasn't supposed to draw bugs, but it did. And I can remember, I like to stay outside as long as I could. Anybody else with me? I mean, I enjoy being outside. I did, not, I did not like being in the house. And I remember when that porch light would come on, that was my cue. Hey, boy, it's getting dark. If you'll come in here, there's beans on the stove. And there's a fresh plate of cornbread on the table. Y'all with me? <laughs> they wasn't me. They wasn't no street lights in Edwardsville. All I could see was that porch light. I thought about that porch light. Here's what Jack Graham said. Those porch lights ought to be like search lights. When that light comes on in your life, in my life, in this house, in your house, it ought to be a symbol to the world that this is the way you need to come. Come on in. There's pinto beans on the stove. There's a fresh plate of cornbread on the table. But can I tell you what's even better? Is there is a Savior who bled and died on the cross so that you could spend eternity with him. Do y'all remember me telling you about the 
tornado. Late 90s came through Moore, Oklahoma. Everything was devastated. And they were trying to help people and they were shining the searchlights. And they were looking for and listening for cries and looking for trapped people. And finally realized that they weren't having much luck. They were trying to get people to one place so they could get help. And what was still standing was the cross on the First Baptist Church in Moore, Oklahoma. And they shined that searchlight on the cross and they walked through the streets with those bullhorns. Just look to the cross. You'll find some help there. <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but that's a Holy Ghost goosebump kind of day, amen? Just look up and you'll see the light is shining on the cross. Just follow the light to the cross and you'll get some help there. Listen, if you're in this room today, I want you to hear this old preacher today. If you're out there tossed on the storms of life, hey, thank God there's a lighthouse and that searchlight is scanning the rough waters and he is bidding you and pleading you to quit trying to fix it, quit trying to be good enough. He's telling you to follow the light to get to the cross and I want you to know that's a place where you will find rest and peace for your souls and forgiveness and the assurance of eternal life. Help us. The church too long has said, just be a chandelier and make things pretty. Oh, just be a just be a fixture here, there. No, 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 no. The word of God is saying to us, turn the light on and bid people to come home. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to my soul. Thank you for how it reminds me of how little I am and how big you are. Oh, how sinful I am and how holy you are. And how the blood-stained arms of Jesus Christ have one hand a hold of God the Father and reached down and touched the hurting humanity and built a bridge of salvation for those who would come to him by faith and repentance. Oh God, today somebody in this room has probably been trying to fix it themselves. Probably been trying to find a way on their own. But I pray God today that the light has come on. Not some artificial light that I might generate, but the true light from heaven that's come down to man. Oh God, may they come follow the light to the cross oh God help us today help us today God to be more like Jesus I pray it all in his name our heads about eyes are closed here's the invitation friend as I've said you're here today and you just I don't know if I'm going to heaven when I die I have no assurance that I'd go to heaven when I die I'm scared, I'm fearful, I don't know but I want to know I promise you we can help you today we can find you the help you need that will follow you and be in you the rest of the days of your life help you live with blessed assurance well, friend maybe you're here today and you're a child of God and you've been functioning more like a chandelier than a porch light Maybe you're not seeing continual progress. Maybe you're not demonstrating consistent purpose. Maybe you're not celebrating and rejoicing over the goodness of God. I love that song. It says, all my life, he has been faithful. All my life, he's been so, so good. With every breath, I am able I will sing of the goodness of God maybe you're a child of God today and you've just grown a little cold a little indifferent you're not doing nothing bad you're just so busy you can't got time for God to speak to you the world is crowding and clouding your mind 
and it's just because you're living doesn't mean you're bad you just need God to speak to you fresh and help you just as I do and every person is building maybe you just got indifferent because everything else is a priority and God just gets you leftovers whatever it is God is bidding you do today listen there is room at the cross for you Father I praise you in advance for the lives I believe you are speaking to and can be changed at this invitation forever may your glory fall and may lives be changed in Jesus name amen and amen let's stand to our feet all across the house God has spoke to your heart friend please don't turn him away please don't resist him for a more convenient season if you've spoken come today come to Jesus we'll be glad to help you because we love you because he first loved us Marty's going to sing you come as the Lord speaks to your heart today sing that chorus again like we mean it. this morning church amen amen thank you thank you please be seated uh, while you're being seated our ushers will be coming here in just a moment to receive our morning tithes and offerings and while they're doing so let me just remind you I realized we had a dead battery earlier when we were doing some quick announcements and just to make sure folks who are watching us by way of internet or maybe at some later time would be aware of these things. Just this afternoon, let me make this real quick. The choir's gonna meet at four from four to four thirty to listen to some Easter music that's new. Need to get a good thing on that, get a good lead on that. Uh, Miss Shirley's visitation is from four to six at uh, Dryden Funeral Home. Uh, if you're in choir, of course, we'll be out by four thirty. If you had plans to go by and visit, and I hope you will. I hope the church family will reach out and show love to their family uh, for Miss Shirley. 
Her service is tomorrow at 2 o'clock here at the church. So do remember that. I know it didn't get uh, on the sound thing early on over the internet and wasn't in our recording. So that is for tomorrow. So do keep those things in mind. Very important. Uh, when people lose loved ones, I'm telling you, it's just a blessing for the church family to be able to show love and support. And I know you will do that in a big way and I thank you so much in advance for what you always do I appreciate the love and support you show for one another and what I always want to do is encourage you to just make it grow amen don't get stagnant don't expect it because if you don't tend to it it'll get dormant amen stir up the good gift of God that's in you that's what Paul told Timothy your grandmother and your mama put it in you don't let it die stir it up and make a big deal for Jesus amen so as we give today, we give graciously, we give sacrificially, joyfully, and cheerfully today, knowing we're a part of something that hell itself can't stop, and that's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by your faithfulness today, we're able to continue our ministry locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. So remember those things every time you give. It's, man, this is not what I'm giving away. This is my investment in the work of God for eternity. Tithe is holy unto the Lord, so as we give faithfully today, let's trust God and join our hearts together and ask God's blessings on our giving. forget stuff about this afternoon don't forget Wednesday nights at 6 everybody at 6 the other information in your worship guide I want you to pay close attention to that if you have any questions you can stop by the welcome center ask one of the guys out front we'll be glad to help you with that okay let's stand together Marty's going to sing us out don't forget hey you know I love you there's absolutely nothing you can do about it amen